0: Welcome back to A People's Guide to Publishing. I'm Joe Beal, the founder and CEO of Microcosm Publishing and Distribution. I'm also the author of A People's Guide to Publishing, which distills what I've learned from selling millions of books over the past 25 years.
1: I'm Ellie Blue. I'm the editorial and marketing director here at Microcosm. We are an independent midlist publisher based in Portland, Oregon. We have 14 employees, over 650 titles in print with 20 to 40 new books per year, and we distribute thousands of titles from other publishers.
0: We started this podcast so that we can share what we've learned with newer publishers so that you can learn from our mistakes.
1: Or maybe you just want to understand the publishing industry.
0: This week, we are going to talk about how to bypass gatekeepers.
1: And we're joined by special guest, Ariel Gore, author of the forthcoming book, The Wayward Writer, which may actually be out by the time this airs.
0: The way time works is mysterious.
1: Which (laughs) is kind of about how to bypass gatekeepers.
0: Right, yeah, I guess it is when you look at it that way, you know. And, you know, what are gatekeepers, Ellie?
1: Ooh, uh, I mean, it's kind of a derogatory term.
0: Right, it is. Yeah, we've kind of besmirched the name of anybody that might ever tell you no.
1: Well, you know, I mean, I think in some cases it's rightly derogatory. Like, you have the gatekeeper who's saying, like, no, only people that look like me and have my educational and cultural background can be published by this company and have their book sell and be given attention. But then also, like, you could see a gatekeeper as somebody who's just kind of sorting. It was like the filter.
0: Right. And I do, I mean, I think a lot of it is, like, gatekeepers are often rather beleaguered and worn down by sheer volume that makes them kind of bitter and that communicates to the people that they are gatekeeping that they're just there to tell you no and that like the no is largely arbitrary <laughs> so you know and i do feel like i have on my wall i keep uh we got a rejection letter from small press distribution which as one friend put it they accept everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and I still have it on my wall because it says there was no market for our books. Mm. And, you know, this is when we had sold just, like, a few thousand books. And, like, today we've sold millions of books. So it's, like, it is hilarious to say that they are rejecting us because there's no market for our books.
1: That's a great example. <laughs> you know? but uh, how, how would you
2: define gay Well, game? and that they don't know how to market your books might have been a more appropriate thing to say. Yes. Right. Um. <laughs> um, it
0: was a form letter, to be fair, but... Yeah. yeah,
2: it cannot be done. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. That's like people are telling you that they don't know how to market your book, is what they're telling you, usually, when they're sending you a rejection. Or they're sending you a rejection because... Um, you know, book needs a lot more development. And um, so, you know, it's not like everyone needs to say yes to you. Also, you know at the height of when I was publishing my zine, Hit Mama, we would get so many submissions that at some point you do just have to burn them.
0: <laughs> um, just, right. Yeah, I mean, it makes you better new. because you're just getting so much inundation, right? right?
2: But it, then it as a writer, I mean, it does make you feel better because you just think, well, either my thing sucked or they didn't know how to market it or they just came to a point in their lives where they had to burn everything (laughs) you know (laughs) all all these things are possible i like that you
0: found redemption in this Um,
2: (laughs) 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 well you know it's and i think most of the time people just don't really have the time to read their submissions they're so overworked um True, but Sometimes then the volume is the a key. lot. You know, a lot of the gatekeeper stuff is is like, did you go to my program? Did you go to a prestigious program? Mm. Um, and and that's just insane because what it you know what are people learning in these big programs? Some things, but there are things that are that you could cobble together an education that was just as uh, vibrant and even marketable um, by not doing this specific program, by just learning at in all the ways the Teenage Liberation Handbook taught us we could learn. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: Right. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's a great way to think, and I think you hit on like a really good point, which is like often you will feel gate kept, but you're just pitching the wrong place. (laughs) You know, and that's like what's actually going on.
1: Or like I feel like the teenage liberation handbook is a great example because she ended up getting rejected by all the publishers she submitted to and self published published it, (laughs) sold a lot of copies. It's out of print now, though. There's allegedly
0: a new edition, but. She doesn't respond to her email, and it doesn't seem to be available anywhere. Mm -hmm. So, Uh (laughs) very maddening, because I want to buy and
2: sell the book. Right. No, that was a great book. And that's the thing. It's like, sometimes you hear from authors that are like, you know, they tried to get an agent, it was kind of crickets, or they sent out a few uh, sample chapters, and then it was crickets, or, you know, some big publisher you never certainly never got back to them and you know of course there is some gatekeeping if they were married to a major producer with the same exact material that would have never happened to them Mm -hmm. um but yeah so are you know are you kind of pushing the wrong door because there are certainly other doors that are open that we can just remove (laughs) um (laughs) Mm. and repurpose it's and kind of engaging in relentless improvisation is actually the way into publishing that that i know that most people i know have taken and been successful at and it's it's hard because if one person says no to your project that you've been working on for 20 years and it's you know everything you know and love in this thing uh, it's really easy to get discouraged and, and just be like somebody didn't love me you know that's the worst feeling you know, i
0: you know i once had this dream that i was going to have like a weekly online column and then after like the sixth rejection i was like i can't take this anymore oh. <laughs> like, you know it's like you pitch it and then even when you know and oftentimes they're really nice where they're like this is really good it's just not what we publish is normally like what they say right you know or they're like this is really good but it's like too depthy or too involved or too long <laughs> so you know like they just want really simple You know, and I just wasn't doing that. But I think that's, like, you made a great point that it's, like, that rejection can be too much.
2: It can, well, it can be anywhere from discouraging to devastating. Or, yeah, you've put your heart in this book. It maybe, you know, took you 10 to 20 years to write it. You put everything you know, and, and you send it out, you know, it's your little puppy you know and you you send it off and and everybody rejects your little you know this puppy that you love and and you can't it's yeah you want to protect your writing you want to protect your heart um and it's it's not about that it might be this freaking fabulous book um and and yet how do you how do you tolerate all this rejection? I mean that's what kind of a really good agent would protect you from that mm. right um and so kind of that's that's why I like agents <laughs> you know if they never send you um, called the nose these, like <laughs> yeah. devastating documents um but the, yeah you do have to f- find like where is my psychic armor that's going to be my own agent and be and kind of babysit me through this process yeah um and keep coming back to that reality that the the process isn't about your experience is lame and your book is weak and you're an imposter. (laughs) Right. It's literally just like that's not our niche or, you know, it's possibly your book's not ready. Um, And that's a, you know, if you can kind of take a few days to breathe through that, maybe it's true, your book's not ready. Um, But a lot of times we are, since the process is so cloaked in mystique, um, it's also hard to figure out what would be the appropriate publisher to send this to. Um, and how do you send it to them? People who seem to be, uh, working writers are constantly asking me like, do I need an agent for this big press? Um, well, yes you do. Um, unless you know, you've, developed a memorable intimate relationship with an editor um and so just going through all those steps is i think it it means that a lot of books are just sitting in people's drawers that people that there would be readers for maybe all these missing readers would be loved to be reading these books that are in your drawer and it's the process is can be so demoralizing that that we give up
0: yeah and but i think you hit on a couple great things it's like often you know i run into people all the time that think that all publishers are kind of interchangeable and they just need a publisher but if you get if even if you convince the wrong publisher to do it they can't sell it either you know so like that's a large part of the reason for gatekeeping is you want Somebody that knows what to do with it and knows how to talk about it and has credibility in that sphere you know because otherwise they're going to fall in deaf ears the same way you know it's like you just can't get something you know you can't get a book placed just because you have a publisher, then you find out that like their distribution isn't you know quite there, or you find <laughs> out that their reputation or their development skills aren't suited to your book or You find out that they only sell a different subject well, you know. And so, I don't know, but how do we get around gatekeepers? Like, how do you have the, you know, like, how would you communicate what your book is if you're sort of feeling like people are continually just pushing you off?
2: Well, I mean, you have to start thinking about your book the way a publisher is going to think about it. And like it or not, even though it's your baby, and your heart, and your... Oh, whatever it is to you, it ultimately is a product in the marketplace. And, um, you know, even things... Sometimes going to zine fests and, um, you know, putting out an excerpt as a zine, maybe a few of them, you notice what people buy and what people are drawn to. And that sometimes... uh, a little zinger on the back cover saying what it is is actually what causes someone to buy a book or even go into a bookstore yourself um, and what am I drawn to do I um, do I really buy things that are have like a just a green cover <laughs> with a, one title and the author who I've never heard of mm-hmm. probably not um, I mean, that's a feedback I get from you all when I have a pu- self-published something and be like, distribute this. And you are like, mm, you know, you might want to put what it is somewhere on the cover. <laughs> that's
0: um, <is> true. Right. <laughs> uh, my favorite yeah. was when we were with IPG still and their feedback for you was like, Joe, this is actually a very successful author. Her name should be larger on the cover, <laughs> meaning you. Right. You know, and, and, and you know, I think they were, the woman never really liked, like, her cousin. So, you know, I think she was kind of surprised that, like, we had an author that had sold well. <laughs> but it was, like, often that is the level of feedback even. it was, like, do people know this name? Like, you know, what are the proper nouns or improper nouns that would tell people what this
1: is? Is it a novel? Is it a memoir? Is it a how-to book? Like, sometimes that's not clear. Often.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so basic things like that um, can get around a gatekeeper. I mean, you know, you're going to meet gatekeepers who are just jerks, and they're like, I did all these things, and... I'm not going to let go of the key to this door. So just forget it. And, you know, that's fine. Um, Maybe they're going to burn it all down. Hmm? Maybe they're burning it all down in that phase. Right. Well, or, you know, we can burn down another door. (laughs) But the thing is that if you want to publish your book with an outside publisher, you don't want to self-publish it because you don't love publishing. um, And you want some level of a team to help you, then your task is to, is to get in and to, you know, find a way through these doors. And it's usually pretty persistent, improvised, and, um, you know, you, you, you know, you feel funny, like going through someone, you know, like, can I have, who's your agent um, it maybe they worked really hard to get this agent and and may or may not want to share that with you, uh, but that gets into that kind of scarcity thing, especially if you're working on marginalized communities and you, and oh, so you know, my pal so and so finally broke in with this publisher who would actually be really appropriate for my book uh, can I ask them? Uh, You can 100% ask them and they and then if they're gonna pull Gatekeeper on you um, That's the kind of thing we have to work with because there isn't with all the publishers right now. There isn't really great scarcity in terms of, of Being able to get your book published it's just finding the right people who are going to be into the book, who you can work with, who maybe have the skills that you don't have. Um, And I also think that, you know, this sort of shame around self-publishing is melting away very slowly. You just, you know, name your press. You It doesn't have to be super obvious that it's self-published learn how to publish like that's part of the process if you're going to self-publish something like learn about margins learn about fonts Rejo's you know book. <laughs> oh yeah we have a people's book like okay. you know that's a whole nother skill set um and it may or may not be something that you want to take on right yeah uh but it's a lot I to do both i think at this point the thing that makes give self-publishing a bad name is the people who are like oh well i wrote the book and that's all there is to it so i'm just going to shove it in this program and it's you know i want to fit it in the number of pages that i can afford so i'm just going to make the font like Mm. six points you know um
0: (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i think you're right it's like they think their work is done they're moving on and then everybody like, oh, self-published books are so bad.
1: Right. And they don't have to right. be. So since this is a podcast ostensibly for publishers, how can publishers become like better and more responsible gatekeepers? Because we go on and on in this podcast about how if you want to get your book published with a publisher, you should like follow their rules to the letter. But I feel like we're also wrong about that because there are so many other ways in if you have that access. Like, right, or you know, if you, you know people. Go through our submissions form guidelines, Ariel, and like what? Like we we, we knew you we knew you from other ways, and um, I think we even approached you. But like, and like you say, you know, like if your husband is a f- editor, or if your best friend has an in, or if you went to a writing program, like there's so many ways in. How what can publishers do to like make that more? level and to give themselves access to more people so they're not gatekeeping based on like race and class and dedication
0: it's a good yeah it is good to shift that responsibility
1: i mean i i think
0: like a lot to me you know i don't know i mean i don't know how much you know about this but there was a way where the like the submission form, cover letter, like, pitch deck thing, I don't remember what the proper term for it is, would be 50 to 100 pages. So, like, basically, like, the way to pitch a publisher is to, like, create this document that is essentially, like, months of work, yeah, that's, like, writing a book. But it's not the actual book. It's more like you're writing marketing materials that sell the book. (laughs) And then, so, like, to some degree, most... Though not all places have, like, simplified and to some degree abolished that. But I think it is really just, like, breaking these things down to the most base part of, like, what do you actually need as a publisher to assess a book? Like, what how much and what kind of materials and information do you need to be, like, is this a good fit for us or not? You know? And I mean, and I think it's, like... We struggled similarly to do that. Maybe not, I wouldn't even say struggled. Like, we thought about <laughs> how to interface with that. And, you know, that's why we used... To, I can't remember what it was. We, we used to just ask for, like, three similar books we'd published and then, like, you to describe your book and how it's unique, you know. And, you know, we elongated that, ironically, a little bit because so many people would just kind of fundamentally bend the truth to make what they had fit what we were looking for, and I've heard that actually all from a lot of other publishers that people try to bend things to fit. I did once have somebody pitch a memoir to me as a workbook, and then when I read it and responded and said, "Um well, you said it was a workbook, but this is fifty thousand words about you. <laughs> Where's the workbook? <laughs> did you send the wrong file?" that's kind of you know like that isn't helping other authors but on another level it's not helping anybody to create these like incredible hoops to make authors jump through because what inevitably like we, i've sat through these like sales m- meetings with like the harper front list and it'll be like here's a memoir of a 90 year old white guy who went to harvard and now lives in midtown manhattan it's a book about... So I don't, that's
2: fascinating.
0: <laughs> you're just like, what is the book about, though? <laughs> you know, like, it's why would I read this vengeance. book? <laughs> you know? and like, And then it would be like, the next book is the very same book. And you're like, how did these books get published? And then I was like, oh, right, because they have a relationship with an agency who has a relationship with the editor because they work in the law firm next door to... And it's like okay, like that's the problem of publishing, is that, like
1: yeah, that's personal access.
0: Yeah, yeah. So then you have to, you know, like walk your talk. You know, you have to actually be approachable and not have this impossible set of hurdles to jump through. And then you have to actually like evaluate the things equally, even if they aren't in your friend group or your social network or whatever.
1: And yeah, yeah. what, what do you wish publishers would do to become more accessible equitably?
2: Well, I mean, I think that's great. If they can, you know, say what they want and ask questions that would help one formulate what they want. I mean, to go back to the author position, one thing that's really effective is if you have another writer pal that if you can swap manuscripts and write each other's copy. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that's good. um, Super smart. and, And then work from that as, you know, get your copy back from your from your writer friend. I think, you know, when other people read your whole manuscript, they can summarize it a lot better than you can. And that's, I think, what we used to rely on publishers for and just accepting that that's not going to happen. Um, but, um... Yeah, I mean what what can publishers do? <laughs> I mean I it's like, hard saying cuz they also have this, you know, they have this problem that they have a revolving door of who works there. Right. And I almost never have the same acquiring editor as the editor who's who has that position when the book comes out mm-hmm. cuz it takes them a few years and
0: they've moved on. Yeah. You know.
2: Yeah, and so it's like, as the author, you really do have to have that material. I mean, the publishers could have your acquiring editor help you do that early on so that you have somebody who read your book who was able to, you know, help you hone in on that. But what usually happens is that two years later, you're you're being asked for the marketing material, you know, you've been surviving those two years, you can't remember what your book was about. Um, <laughs> this is so relatable. You know, and, but if you could have worked with your acquiring editor in that first moment, and they, you know, they're like, I "Me, mean, you, ha- you're in the door at that point, mm-hmm. um, but kind of, kind of pinned down. Like, what are, how have we kind of uh, distilled what this product is for people and again like it's it's a product even if you're super anti-capitalist um, it's if you want people to read your book they have to obtain it even if it's free I mean you go to a free library on the street corner you don't just take everything right. um, you take the things that are pretty and uh, something's articulated on the cover that made you say, like, oh, you know, this might be a nice way to spend my week.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, <I> <laughs> that's. I mean, that's exactly it. It's, and, I, I mean, that's the number one piece of feedback I give to authors, is I'm like, go to the bookstore, look at your shelf, see which one, like, see how they're talking about it, see what the language is, see which ones speak to you, ask somebody that works there which ones sell the most and sell the least because that's helpful too and that I i mean the fact that like this doesn't occur to people it's just like I think it's because they don't see themselves as like part of a marketplace they see themselves as like I made my baby my work is done why are you not languishing me with fame and money you
2: know right I mean and that's I i love going to ZineFest for that purpose mm-hmm. to you know it's not a it, insanely capitalist marketplace because it's the creators selling directly to the readers but you certainly do notice uh what people are drawn to Mm -hmm. given their limited amount of time that they can't Mm -hmm. they can't see your soul unless they're pretty magical and so how can you, you know, be like here's a little taste of my soul, like take it or leave
0: it. Check it out. You know? <laughs> um <laughs> I don't
2: you know, I don't need readers who don't believe in, you know, mermaids who would give them affirmations. Right. So but and yet that's not for
1: everyone. Shockingly. <laughs> I like your I like your point though that like the gatekeeping process goes beyond just acquiring the book and selling the book. Like It is like, not all books are given equal resources and attention. Not all books are going to, yeah, do the same way once they've been published. Mm -hmm. I I was thinking about events, too, because we have acquired a number of books from people who like literally come up to us at events and are like, here's my idea. Which, like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's a matter of scale, too. Like, I'm getting it now that we're getting bigger. Like, When we were smaller, like, Joe and I would go to every event, or Joe was always on tour, and, like, a lot of people had access to you, Mm -hmm. because you were out there, and now the busier we get, the more layers there are, and the fewer people you're likely to meet.
0: And they'll often pitch the wrong person and then the wrong person will do the wrong thing and then it'll go to the wrong department and then the real answer is like you should send it to submissions.
1: Yeah, so then <laughs> people know? are trying to get that personal connection that they used to be able to get easily.
0: Well, they're free. trying to go through the back door because they mm-hmm. think the back door is better than the front door. But they think the back door will improve their chances when it doesn't.
1: But it kind of is if you have the right connections. Well, you if have to
0: pick your
2: which back door.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this yeah. is
1: getting a little racy. This is a family-friendly <laughs> podcast. <laughs>
0: And, and I mean, and you know, like a lot of those things, you know, what I've seen over and over and over again is like the person with the right project will take the time to read, understand, and you know, sometimes the right person will be like, well, you said this, so I thought maybe not mine, but I wanted to talk to you about it anyway. And then you're like, no, that's really good. Like that would really work. And so sometimes, like, a person is so (laughs) well-behaved that they will be...
1: They can keep themselves out.
0: Yeah, they'll be, like, culturally programmed not to pitch themselves. And then the wrong people will pitch themselves all day long because they're entitled in that way. Whereas, like, the... But what happens most often is somebody... Like, the right person will read what we want, they'll do their homework, and then they'll come back with, like, a perfectly executed like submission the first time you know and it's like we don't so to me as long as it's not too encumbering like the system works like you want to reward train you know people to do it the way that you know gets them published which so like you want to align all of those motives like like we want to publish people despite what you know people that have been rejected by us may believe And, you know, it's like we have to align all those interests. Like, that's sort of our job because we're the only one that has access at that part in the chain, you know. And, you know, so it's like you just have to not get better when you're (laughs) that filter. And then you have to think about what, you know, like what your desired outcome is or, you know, why some things are not getting through or, you know. Like you don't want to, and you know, and similarly, if the process is too encumbering, like the the wrong people are going to pitch you all day long because they have time and resources to do that, and the right people probably don't.
2: Step one is never bring the whole manuscript as a printout. It's you don't think about how heavy those are, Um, and
0: nobody wants them.
2: They just don't. (laughs) They want a little bit. Yeah, a one-page summary. And again, if you have to exchange manuscripts with somebody else who you feel great about them and they feel great about you and and just get into that mode, it's like almost an alter ego where the part of yourself that's going to sell yourself is probably not the part of yourself that is writing this kind of deep book. And I kind of think all books are deep books. I don't mean just... Uh, an, a tell-all memoir. I think a how-to book is, you mm-hmm. put all this time into it, there is so much of your soul in the book if it's good. And it is necessarily challenging to just walk up to a stranger and be like, do you want my soul? <laughs> and they're going to say nine times out of ten, mm, no. Um... <laughs>
0: It takes a certain amount of bravery, and know.
2: so it's and it's so it's hard to be like, you know, I am not the work. I am not this, you know this process, and um, so yeah, I think that the the buddy system with that is great uh, if you can you find a buddy who who just you know the kind of person who who tells all their friends how great you are, and without lying, you're like, dang, I am kind of great. <laughs> um, you know. <laughs> Mm. and then you can you can work from there so it, it it's i mean that's it's in some ways like a self-esteem thing but but writers and artists aren't really trained to do that and people who work in corporate um worlds are maybe trained to do a little bit more of that so to summarize
1: you can bypass the gatekeepers by either going at their process very very well um learning which ones to pitch and, like, giving them the pitch on the side, but in an an unobtrusive way that's not your whole manuscript and not requiring a meeting or a phone call. Um, or by having a friend. And publishers can encourage this by (laughs) making sure they're friends with and going to events of a wide range of people.
0: People that aren't like themselves, yeah. Yeah,
1: people not like themselves. Or people who are, like, the people that they want to publish the books of, I guess. Yeah. Um, and making sure their process is more streamlined.
0: And I and I yeah, and I think it's like the perception that publishers don't want to be approached is false. Like publishers wanna be approached by projects they can publish. Yeah. You know, like I would never mind like a per you know, and I I mean we've had we've met we met one of our authors in an elevator mm-hmm. at a trade show. That's true. And she was very meek and very nice and I tell that story all the time because like it's the kind of thing the authors think they shouldn't do, when they should do it to the right person. Yeah, right. You know, and so I don't know. I th- I think you're. Yeah, it's like it's a it's an art and a science. And you know, there's an well, intersection.
2: I mean, a a lot of my books are from either uh, is from publishers approaching me, and me putting myself out there to the point you know, again, in in small projects and zines, this type of thing. So I don't have, like, this massive platform by social influencers' standards. But I put myself out there enough that people approach me. And those are really the people who are most of the time the best to work with because they feel like they you know discovered you or at least found you like that you are definitely doing something that they want to do so you for publishers putting themselves in that position as much as possible you know instead of just sitting around being like oh you know i wish i had more marginalized authors like okay well you know where is that work coming from Mm -hmm. and and making and doing that work to make relationships with people um, who are otherwise just going to be banging their head against the wall, trying to send their proposals out to people who who aren't looking for them.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, and that's true. It's like if somebody seeks you out, they've chosen you for a reason. They could have. There's millions of authors. They chose you. You yeah. know, and that's... So, yeah, I guess it's like being out there is the first step towards that.
2: And then and if you are out there selling your own small projects, um, then it puts you in a different position as a writer, too, because then you can say to this publisher or this agent, like, what can you do for me?
0: Yep. Right. Or um, no, <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> is often the fine answer if it's not for you. you know?
2: Right, and and so then it just it changes the dynamic a little bit where it's not like writers are desperately going around knocking on doors. It's like writers are actually producing a, a very important part of the book. <laughs>
1: writers need to do a little um,
2: <laughs> <deepkeeping> too. <laughs> Yeah. Well or just put you know put ourselves out there in small manageable ways and you know if if you're successful enough as a zinester, somebody's gonna start calling you um, and then you have to decide like would they be subtracting from my business or would they actually do they actually have resources? that can help me and do the things that I can do.
0: Thanks for joining us once again.
1: Please send your questions to podcast at microcosmpublishing.com so we can answer them on future episodes.
0: And please give us five stars on iTunes and everywhere else that podcasts are reviewed.
1: You can find us on the internet at microcosm.pub.
0: On Twitter at microcosm...
1: On Facebook at microcosm publishing.
0: On Instagram at microcosm underscore pub.
2: And here in Portland, Oregon on North Williams Avenue. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week.